Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Willow Center podcast. My name is Chase Cotton. I am your host. Our other host, Mason, can't be with us for this episode, so it's just me. I'm so grateful to have uh, our longtime friend, Justin Phillips of Overdose Lifeline. This is the final episode of season three, and today we're going to be talking about substance use prevention, which I think could be the single most important topic we've covered in any of our seasons. Um, and we've covered a lot. Um, but I've, I've been a, a longtime believer in the old adage that prevention is the best intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to get get uh, get into that topic here in just a few minutes. But I wanted to give Justin the opportunity to go ahead and just introduce yourself. Give us a little bit of background on who you are, what you're about, um, your passion, your career, whatever you feel is most important for listeners to hear. Okay, great. Thank you, Chase. Uh, happy to be here. I'm Justin Phillips. I'm the founder and CEO of Overdose Lifeline. We are a nonprofit. We're based here in Indianapolis, but we do serve the state of Indiana in a variety of ways, and we also serve um, other states and other important community partners in states around the nation. Love that. I feel like that's a very understated way to talk mm-hmm. about the work of Overdose Lifeline, because mm-hmm. um, for those who haven't haven't met you personally, they've probably heard about you on the news or in some of Gov- Governor Holcomb's posts um, with uh, the prevention work that the, the state's doing. Could you go into a little more detail about some of the work that you've done in the past with Overdose, Overdose Lifeline that um, you're most proud of? Sure. No, we started in 2014 because I lost uh, my middle child, Aaron, to a heroin overdose mm-hmm. in 2013. And soon after Aaron lost his life, I learned about naloxone some people refer to as narcan and the awareness wasn't there about naloxone when individuals were leaving treatment right for opioid use disorder so we really started with increasing access to naloxone Mm -hmm. and then sort of right alongside we started in prevention and talking about opioids in a more in-depth way because we weren't doing that either right so we've built on that over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, we now distribute in partnership with the state of Indiana 24,000 single doses wow. of the overdose reversal drug a month. Across That's incredible. 24,000 a month. Mm-hmm. A month, yep. That's amazing, Justin. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And that's a lot for a relatively small team. It's a lot for a small team, for sure. We, ha- we rely on volunteers a right. great deal, so... That's awesome. Good on those volunteers as well. Yeah. So in your own words, how would you um, how would you describe or define prevention or prevention work in the context of substance use and addiction? What all does it encompass? What's it mean? I know that's a hard one. You know, Chase, and I don't feel like I'm necessarily a prevention expert mm-hmm. as much as I think there's all these factors that go into prevention that we try to address at Overdose Lifeline and we try to work with partners in the community. So I think knowledge Mm -hmm. has some role in prevention Okay, because we don't understand brain science the way that we need to to understand how introducing a substance to our developing brain changes the pathways in the brain and can cause dependency physically first perhaps with opioids right and subsequently then we have you know this pattern that's been established that our brain tells us you need that drug you must get that drug above all else right if we could talk to individuals who aren't necessarily at high risk about their tendency Mm -hmm. and the brain science i think that's one prevention yeah 
we also have people who are high risk, right? right? High risk because of their genetics, high risk because of their environment, high risk because of trauma they've experienced. Right. And so then there's sort of different layers of prevention that have to go to those more high risk populations. Yeah, I think that's really well said. You know, one of my earliest introductions to your organization was um, when I was working for the Henderson County Health Department um, several years ago now before I had gotten connected to the Willow Center. Um, and I was trained as a, an educator for the This Is Not About Drugs program. Can mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about that program and how that fits into that context that you just described? Especially, I guess, that's more for speaking to um, folks that, that are somewhere in the middle as far as risk goes when it comes to youth. But tell us more about that program. Yeah, sure. So This Is Not About Drugs is a proprietary program that we developed in 2015, so early also in the organization, yeah. because prevention programs for adolescents were not speaking about the opioids other than it's a class of drugs like all these other classes of drugs, and drugs right. are bad and don't do them. Right. But the truth is you're potentially going to be legitimately prescribed an opioid, and you need to understand the risks as they relate to opioids, right. right? So that's why we developed This Is Not About Drugs. Mm -hmm. It's a peer-led program. It's youth under 20 who speak about their own experience, either personally or from a family member. And then we built curriculum around that with subject matter experts. It's right. built to fit a regular classroom. Yeah. But we also consider it a universal program. Mm -hmm. So everyone can benefit from participating in this is not about drugs right because it plants a seed around when i get that legitimate prescription say for my wisdom teeth extraction maybe i want to know that this is a risk for me right you know i'm, I'm uh, it's interesting that you mentioned wisdom teeth because i think that was the first opioid prescription i ever received as a young person after i got those teeth extracted that was back in 2012 i think maybe maybe earlier than that um, but I, I think that's one of those most common misnomers about this epidemic is that many people who are struggling with a substance use disorder as a result of opioids did start with a, a, a standardized, you know, prescribed medication that yes. they believed to be safe and they may or may not have taken it as prescribed, right? That's another issue to be addressed, but it's, it's not this stigmatized idea that is so often represented in media um, or in, you know, sort of aggrandized stories about, about the issue. It's, it's not it's those people. Yeah. Those <laughs> it's people. It's each one of us. And lots of times you hear of those people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So in your definition of prevention, you, you're mentioning these multiple levels, multiple layers of factors that go into um, someone's, uh, both perceived and actual risk of, of um, struggling with a substance use problem or battling a chemical dependency. Mm -hmm. um, for those that, that, uh, that might be higher risk, what, what role do the social determinants of health uh, play in prevention work? So for the listeners who might not be familiar with that term, social determinants of health is a public health concept um, that divides your your life into sort of five primary contexts, um, education, access, and quality, healthcare, access, and quality, neighborhood and built environment, social and community context, and economic stability. And it says that those five areas play a role in your health behaviors and your health outcomes. So what role do you feel like those five areas play in prevention work as it relates to substance use? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that we have to have self-efficacy and we have to have hope in order to pick up the tools that are given to us for prevention. Yeah. Right. And so each time I have a challenge as it relates to those areas of social determinants of health that you mentioned, the less likely I'm going to have self-efficacy and hope. Yeah. And we've been working on a project in the black community specifically because we realized in our numbers of distribution for naloxone that we weren't really reaching the black community. Yeah. And uh, one of my staff at Overdose Lifeline said a great thing recently. We are giving hope to people that didn't even know that they were hopeless. Wow, that's deep. Yeah. And I think that that's if I'm, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right. if I have to focus on how I'm going to eat, mm-hmm. then I'm less capable of focusing on exercise right. and good nutrition because I don't even have the financial resources or I don't even have a grocery store. You know, I live in a food desert, all those things you mentioned. Right. Then don't contribute to my ability to pick up the tools of prevention. Right. Because a lot of times prevention, unfortunately, is a is a little bit about discipline, right? Right. And it's hard hard to be disciplined when I'm I'm in very strong survival mode. Right. It's trying to survive instead of thrive. Yeah. 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 That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. I think Maslow was Maslow was was very before his time. One hundred percent. You know, because I feel like the hierarchy of needs is basically the social determinants of health model, just in pyramid format. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's so well stated. Because if, I mean, the way substances work in the brain, like you described described a few minutes ago, like when the brain starts to believe that I need that substance mm-hmm. to survive, mm-hmm. right? Then it it's right down there on the lowest level of of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where it's like that's just as important as right. sleep and food and social relationships and it's like it's like a hijacking scenario mm-hmm. well i think then eventually i do put the drug before the food actually right, right. in lots of ways mm-hmm. yeah it becomes the most important thing to your brain mm-hmm. for surviving mm-hmm. yep yeah so then adding those different layers of hardship or, or trauma mm-hmm. uh, just complicates the issue yep and culturally unfortunately we have um, been led to believe that a substance is a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is one of the other keys, I think, to prevention is really learning a different solutions yeah. to my uncomfortableness because we're all uncomfortable at times, but we are instant gratification and we right. are take a pill to get rid of your headache as opposed to have a glass of water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It all plays a role. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like a social or like, um, I guess a, a cultural undercurrent yes. of substance use. Yes. You know, you see it in our media, you see it in songs. Something I bring up a lot of times when I'm doing like a like a mental health 101 or substance use 101 type presentation for folks is uh, this song that came out, um, I want to say it was like 2017 or 2018, but it was by the rapper Future. And uh, <laughs> I'm too old. I don't know. <laughs> You're not. I promise you'll recognize it. Um, I'm, I won't play it for you right now. But the, the chorus of the song went something along the lines of Percocet, Molly Percocet. And it kind of repeats that sort of rhythmic line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were 12 year olds and 13 year olds across the nation doing this silly little arm hand knee dance on TikTok to this song by Future. And 
is very, very blatantly about these medications that are highly abusable and highly um, have a high risk of, of addiction and overdose and it's just saturated, yeah. you know, into these young minds to normalize, even even recognizing the names of them in a way that isn't to prevent the use of it, but to normalize the use of it. Mm-hmm. That's just, yeah, that's so the much normalizing harm. the use is the challenge for sure. Yeah, definitely. And we do it with alcohol, you know. Right. And we've been doing it with alcohol for a very long time. That's a good point. That's a point that I think makes a lot of us uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? Because you can't drive around 465's loop without seeing like 45, 50 billboards mm-hmm. for alcohol or vaping now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that is that is substance use all the same with mm-hmm. risk factors that come along with it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's actually the number one substance leading cause of death, alcohol. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about it as much, right? Because it makes people uncomfortable. Right. And it's definitely not those people. Right. <laughs> so how do, how do, how do you, mm. what would you recommend to our listeners to push through that discomfort? The discomfort of, one, having the difficult conversations about substances, but also the discomfort of dealing with discomfort. Yeah. Right? Like, to your point, like having a glass of water instead of reaching for medication. Mm-hmm. How do you get people to have that conversation? That's the magic question chase i think because denial i think is why we don't want to have those conversations right and it's a very protective barrier Mm -hmm. and a tool we use for things we don't understand and don't believe we can solve yeah things we don't understand and don't believe we can solve yeah i mean substance use disorder if you've been around anyone, if you yourself have had it or you've loved someone who has it, it's not a simple go to the doctor, write a prescription, get some 30 days worth of treatment. Right. Everything's all better. You right. go into remission and life goes back to normal. Yeah. It isn't the way it it's works. not linear like that. No. And s- sometimes it takes seven times of 30 days and sometimes it never works and it's v- a very... I hate to use the word again, but hopeless disease. Right. So I don't know how to solve this. So I'll just pretend it's not happening. Mm-hmm. I don't want to believe that about my child. Not my family, not, not my neighborhood. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to just ignore it. I think in this current climate with fentanyl, mm-hmm. one of the key things that I think parents and caregivers need to understand is it's developmentally appropriate to experiment, but right. it's very dangerous right now. And please don't believe, please don't use that, not my child, because it is true that you can take one pill that you believe to be one thing that is in fact fentanyl and, and die, and it's very dangerous. Right. Yeah, it's well said, and it's it's sobering. I, I think that that piece of information alone is one of the most important pieces of prevention education mm-hmm. um, because it... You know, it used to be true, and the D.A.R.E. program would would hammer us with this idea that, that there were gateways to a quote-unquote harder substance, oftentimes referring to alcohol or, or cannabis marijuana. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that might have been true when we were in high school back in the day, you know, but nowadays it is just as simple, if not simpler, to get a pill off of a couple of Snapchat messages that disappear after you've viewed them, mm-hmm. right? You can... You don't even have to always meet someone. Sometimes you get them mailed to your house. Yep. 
you know, and that that is the gateway. That is the first time. And we, we just lost a couple of students here in Henders County at, at Avon. Yes. Um, because of that very that very fact. So, yeah, parents, caregivers, if you're listening, please don't miss that. Right. Like your your kiddo doesn't know what they're purchasing. Yep. And so many adults that are suffering from this and are getting hurt from this don't know what they're purchasing. Right. And that's just the fact of the matter. The dealers don't care. No. The the creators of these uh, you know medications don't care about the purity and the quality and the you know whether or not it's enough of to to be lethal. Um, so yeah, the first time you use could be the only time you use, and that's mm-hmm. that's really important for people to understand. Yes. So what role do harm reduction methods play in prevention work? You mentioned Narcan, which is a, a huge pillar of of mm-hmm. the work of Overdose Lifeline mm-hmm. in Indiana. Um, and, and that would be considered by many to be a harm reduction method. But mm-hmm. what what else, especially more generally, uh, would, would qualify as prevention work in regards to harm reduction? Yeah, uh, I think it's a perfect um, segue from what we were just discussing as it relates to not knowing what you're purchasing. Mm-hmm. And harm reduction is a public health policy that we use in lots of ways um, in our world. Yeah. We, we wear seatbelts. We do vaccinations. We wear sunscreen, all related to harm reduction, Mm -hmm. reducing the harm of legal and illegal behaviors, right? And when I first learned about harm reduction in the substance use disorder space, I was appalled, right? Right. Because as a person who has been in 12-step recovery a, a very decently long time, I didn't understand the concept of allowing someone some form of drug use. Right. And that abstinence only isn't, you know, the immediate goal. Mm -hmm. It is our goal, right? Our goal is abstinence. It's the eventual goal. Yeah, right. But sometimes we have to take these baby steps to get there using harm reduction. And harm reduction really is about reducing the harms. Mm -hmm. So if um, someone, for instance, you know, is using one drug one way, maybe they're willing to consider not injecting, but only smoking Right. Um, for individuals who are, you know, regular chronic sort of users in sure. that space. Naloxone, as you mentioned, is harm reduction, clean syringes right? and syringe service programs is considered harm reduction as it relates to opioids. Mm-hmm. Um, medication. Because it reduces the likelihood of disease. Yes, and, right. Yeah. Medication. For opioid use disorder, like methadone, suboxone, Vivitrol, are right. all considered harm reduction as it relates to opioids. And and if you think about a syringe service program, and and I I understand the controversy around giving someone clean needles means we're enabling them to use much in the same way people argued about naloxone. Yeah, the when same we first argument was the made law. for naloxone. Yeah. And if you if you go look at um. Uh, news reports after seatbelts were introduced in the late 70s. Yeah. People fought that too. Right, right. <laughs> well, and just because I wear a seatbelt doesn't give me permission to drive recklessly. Exactly. And so that's the same concept. It's just going to keep you alive mm-hmm. to get you to recovery. Right. And a clean needle is going to prevent communicable disease that's going to affect lots of people. Plus, when you come to me for a needle exchange, we get to have a conversation right. about the other things that you talked about earlier, the social point. determinants of health. Yeah. yeah, I can say, and so how, how are you doing? You know, what's happening at home? Do you have enough to eat? We can have those conversations. Right. You can learn to trust me. 
and having conversations, parents, is harm reduction. You know, I think um, about my own experience with my children and how much I used to fight Aaron about his marijuana use. Sure. Right? And I would argue. Right. That's my fear. Instead, I wished I would have known that I should have sat down with Aaron and said, I am afraid, Aaron, because of my own personal history, right? your genetic predisposition. Yeah. And so let's talk about what we can do to the reduce the harms. Talking about risks versus rewards as opposed to yeah. just the absolute. Yeah. And if you're going to use something that could cause you to overdose, then I'm going to have naloxone here in my home. Would you be willing to stay home and use, which is very hard for parents? Right. Then I can check on you. Right. Because people die alone too much, and that's because they have shame, and they don't want to tell anyone. It's that hopelessness that you've mentioned. Yeah, yeah, and if my child knows that I'm not judging them, because as somebody who uses, I'm shamed by my use. I'm not proud of my drug use. Right. Then that whole dynamic changes, and I'm more willing to talk to you about what's going on with me. Right. If you're, if I feel like you don't judge me, and that's what a harm reduction conversation can do. That's huge, and I think it's it's so important what you just said about the fact that conversations are prevention work. Yes. Because right? that feels that feels dare I say rudimentary, mm-hmm. right? But it's potentially the most difficult part of the entire situation is having that conversation with someone you love. Agreed. And you know, I'm speaking from experience for my own family. It's, it's, it's really, really tough emotionally. Um, it's tough physically. Your body brings mm-hmm. up trauma reactions mm-hmm. and defensiveness in those moments. And yeah, building enough trust to, to have that, that perceived safety and connection that a person who is struggling with this needs yeah, that can be the difference maker. I think that's so huge to understand. Yep. So, uh, what what are what are some things that you were like most excited about in regards to the work that Overdose Lifeline is doing right now and, and is going to be doing in 2024? Yep. So I think it really fits well with the conversation about prevention. Mm-hmm. We have been um, in partnership with uh, Dr. Victoria Wilburn at the School of Health and Human Sciences at um, IUPY Occupational Therapy, and she and and I have talked about a family harm reduction model. Okay. And so we are, it's prevention. So we started a program called Camp Mariposa Aaron's Place three years ago. Yeah. And it is for children 9 to 12 who have been affected by a family member with substance use disorder. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the kids are often the forgotten element in the family disease. And when we talk about prevention, Chase, which we haven't touched on really, but the whole family is not well. Right. And the whole family needs to be treated. Absolutely. Because it's not going to be as successful if everyone doesn't get better. Right. It's not. And so if we talk about prevention, we can probably help prevent some substance use disorder if we give these kids at this prime age Mm -hmm. prior to the age of 12, which we know is the average age of onset of use. Right. Tools to cope. Yeah. Tools to understand 
that I don't have to use a substance as a solution the way I've watched the adults in my life do. Right. I can understand addiction is a disease. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. Camp Mariposa is a beautiful thing. And if you listen to the kids or watch them, they every camp, which is six times a year, they write a letter to addiction. Oh, wow. And they tell addiction how they feel yeah. and they talk to addiction and they learn to sort of befriend addiction because it is a part of their life. Sure. But it's not their fault. Right. That's so powerful. Mm. That fault piece. Yeah. You know? because I see it's, that all the time. Right. Um, and then last year we opened a women's recovery house, but we're, we're doing it a little differently because we don't do anything easy at overdose lifeline. <laughs> and we take only women who are pregnant. Oh, wow. And, going to be having a baby so that we can keep that family united because again harm reduction if we can prevent intergenerational trauma we are going to prevent some people from using substance that's so huge and so the moms and babies get to stay together we give them a foundation of recovery we are recovery first model so if you don't stay in recovery and you don't follow the structure of the recovery house then you can't stay sure um and we have um, had three graduates, which means they've stayed for a full six months. Amazing. We have eight babies over there. Oh, wow. It's uh, it's beautiful and amazing. So I think between Heart Rock, which is the house, and Camp Mariposa, mm-hmm. we're really forever going to be able to hopefully prevent some additions to the stream of substance use disorder. I love that. Congratulations on mm. all that hard work. And that's one of my favorite things. It's always been one of my favorite things about Overdose Lifeline mm-hmm. is that you have never been a a single uh, a single program agency. Yeah. You know, like for, I feel like from the get go, at least from the from the get go of when I, you know, came into the fold of understanding what it was and what you guys do, there's always been something happening on multiple fronts. Right. We have the saving lives, right? Yeah. Because we have to, right? You can't mm-hmm. recover if you're dead, mm-hmm. right? We have the 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 family work. We have the the policy and advocacy work, which is even further upstream in the prevention timeline. Yes, you know you have uh, so many like outreached arms of service and help, and I, I just think you have so much to be proud of, Justin. Mm, so congratulations you, and thank you for your hard work. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, we're just filling the gaps, right? We just right. recognize the gap and try to fill it. It's, it's what the Willow Center does, you know. Yeah. And and so I think it's um, I'm I'm super proud of you guys too because oh, Ashley told it. me about the adolescent program and yeah we're so really that's really about amazing it. yeah and th- and that's all we're doing right we're just yeah. t- trying to save lives and trying to fill the gaps and do good work find the need and try and tr- find the need and try to meet it yes right? mm-hmm. yeah. yep it's huge mm-hmm. so do you have any final advice for listeners who want to help prevent substance use whether that's in the lives of people they love and know, or whether that's, you know, the, the, the grander scheme of things in their, in their surrounding community. Yeah. Um, so I would say have those hard conversations, be, be really willing to, um, talk to either your young people in your life Mm -hmm. and, and help them understand a substance is not a solution and be willing to, spend time with them finding other solutions. Yeah. You know, what is, what is the reason that I'm anxious today Mm -hmm. and understanding what anxious feels like Yeah, and the tools that I can use to walk through my anxiety as opposed to getting high instead. Right. Right. 
being aware of harm reduction and access to naloxone yeah. and fentanyl test strips are huge. Mm-hmm. Being willing to consider having a conversation with people that you love and care about, about the dangers and testing something before you use it, I think is crucial. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. For those who are listening, if you're not sure where to find naloxone in your greater community, um, you can get on Overdose Lifeline's website and they've got a map of every location where uh, free naloxone, which is typically available 24-7, 365 days a year, is available within um, you know just a few minutes or a few miles typically and it's every county now, right? Almost every yeah, county? Yeah, almost every county. I think yeah. there's a few little outliers, which is... Some rem- the more rural but, ones, yeah. Yeah, but we also will mail it to you. Oh, good um, to know. Anonymously, if that's what you need. So if you can't find something in your area, there's also a way to just request it and we'll mail it. That's great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank yes. you, Justin. Thank, thank you for you, your Chase. time. Thank you for your yeah. hard work. Mm-hmm. You're an inspiration to us at the Willow Center, and we're, we're proud to be partners. Yeah, thank you so much, Chase. That has been episode 10, the final episode of season three of the Willow Center podcast. I've been your host, Chase Cotton, and of course, uh, my friend and and colleague, Mason Christie, our other host. It's been a pleasure spending this year together with you in season three. We're looking forward to launching season four, sort of in the middle of next year. Uh, Until then, we encourage you to go back and re-listen to your favorite episodes from the first three seasons. And if you need anything, please reach out to someone. There is hope. Recovery is possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch you next time. Take care of yourselves.